Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Today, we're actually going to look at the shortest verse in the Bible. Now, many of you are probably quoting it in your head because you know what it is. It's found in the book of John, chapter 11, verse 35, and it simply reads, Jesus wept. Now, for all of its grammatical simplicity, it is packed with a spiritual complexity. The great poet Ella Wilcox once witnessed a strange phenomenon in the middle of a train car. Uh, She says she was sitting there quietly, and then she noticed a woman towards the front of the car who was weeping, who was crying uncontrollably. This just wasn't a single tear rolling down her cheek. Uh, She was sobbing, and it was very noticeable to everyone on the train car. She says, towards the back of the train car, there was an older man, and he was telling funny stories, and people began to gather around him to laugh and and listen to his stories. Ella said that as the train progressed, she noticed that people were actually getting up from the front of the car and going to the back. They were leaving the sobbing, sobbing, weeping woman, and they were going to the back Uh, to hear this old man tell his jokes. It was out of this experience that Ella Wilcox wrote the well-known adage, laugh and the world laughs with you, weep and you weep alone. You know, it's surprising how true that statement can be in our world sometimes. There is something almost uninviting about a person who is in tears, a person who's sobbing, something that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And yet, on rare occasion, there are instances when the opposite is true, when a person weeps not out of sorrow, but out of joy, and we're more apt to join in with that weeping if it's birthed out of joy. I vividly remember the 1991 NBA Finals. After four long years, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen led the Chicago Bulls to their first ever NBA championship over Magic Johnson and the Los Angeles Lakers. When they won the championship, spectators rushed the floor, TV crews rushed the floor, journalists also rushed onto the floor. Everyone was crying and celebrating. Everyone was excited. But all eyes were on Michael Jordan, sitting against the wall in the locker room, clutching that NBA championship trophy with tears streaming down his face. Now, I think that image is burned into the memory of countless basketball enthusiasts such as myself. There was just something compelling about the tears rushing down his face, the outpouring of emotion. It just added to his legacy and his greatness. Can I just say and just be totally honest with you, man, I miss basketball. 
Uh, we should be in the, in the heart of the playoff race and then two months of NBA playoffs. And, and I, I really miss uh, the NBA basketball. Um, I would put a sad face emoji, uh, but I'm preaching right now. You know, although it was never captured on video or broadcast in high definition, I think there's always been something equally compelling, equally captivating about this short little verse in the Bible, John 11:35, that says, Jesus wept. Have you ever stopped to wonder what could possibly bring tears to the face of God? Can you imagine Jesus' saturated face, uh, tears rolling down his face? You know, it begs us to ask some questions. Some questions. Why was he weeping? Are these tears of weakness or tears of strength? Are these tears birthed from fear or compassion? Do they stem from sorrow or do they stem from joy? And so to begin with, what I'd like to do is I'd like to set the stage for this event in the life of Jesus, an event that caused him to weep. Where we are in the narrative of John, Jesus is at the end of his ministry. He's just days away from, tri- from the triumphal entry, from Passion Week. And one of his dear friends, Lazarus, has died. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. Jesus was very close to this entire family. In fact, we read about Mary in John chapter 11, verse 2. She's the young lady that poured expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus and then wiped his feet with her hair. Her sister Mary, we read about her in Luke chapter 10. Mary invites Jesus over for dinner for this huge dinner party. And when Jesus gets there, Mary is so busy with the preparations, or Martha rather, is so busy with preparing things that she kind of ignores and neglects Jesus, and Jesus rebukes her for it. So I want you to think about this for a second. You have these two sisters who are filled with sorrow at the passing of their brother. Now, when he first passed away early on, I think they still had hope. They knew Jesus well. They knew him on a personal level. They witnessed a lot of his miracles that he performed. They saw him heal the sick, give sight to the blind. And surely they thought he could raise their brother from the dead. What's interesting, in the text, when news gets to Jesus, he's in a different town, that Lazarus has died. The Bible tells us that on purpose, he waits for two more days before he heads to Judea to see Mary, Martha, and to mourn the loss of Lazarus. And so put yourself in their shoes as each day passed, I think the sisters lost some hope. Jesus hadn't come soon enough. Their hope for their brother's resurrection had faded and grief had replaced it. Reality had set in that their brother was gone and there was nothing anyone else could do about it, not even Jesus. Spices had already been applied to his body. He was already wrapped in his burial cloth. And I think they thought all hope was gone. Well, in the text, Jesus finally makes it to them. And you can see that Martha is not very happy. We find her reaction in the book of John, chapter 11, verse 21. It says this, Martha said to Jesus, 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Jesus, you've been gone for four days. You knew about this. You could have spoken healing uh, to him from afar like you've done in the New Testament before. But you did nothing. If you had been here sooner, my brother wouldn't be in that tomb. He'd be standing right here. Why in the world did you wait so long? We see the same reaction to Mary, the other sister, when she encounters Jesus down in verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him, and she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now where we are in the point of of this story is that people have already gathered. Mary and Martha are mourning, the, the whole village, the whole town, their loved ones are mourning at the loss of their brother. And when Jesus heard their words, the text tells us that he <clears throat> saw the people. He heard their wailing. And the Bible says that he became very moved within himself. And then we know what happened in verse 35. He wept. Now that's only two words. Jesus wept. But the two-word verse highlights the fact that the writer, John, wants us to pause here for a moment. The weeping was not something to just gloss over and ignore. It was intentional, and it was packed with meaning. So that begs us to ask the question then, why did Jesus weep? Why did he begin crying in the text? Well, I want to offer you four possible reasons from different scholars And then after that, I want to give you my own personal reason as to why I believe that Jesus wept. Let's look at these four possible reasons for the weeping of Jesus in John 11.35. Number one, some scholars say that Jesus wept because he had compassion for the suffering. He saw the suffering of the people and the pain that death causes. And that Jesus deeply cared about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And although he already knew that this was going to happen to glorify God, that in a few minutes Lazarus would return to them, he still saw their pain, heard their pain, he felt their pain, and he was empathetic to their loss. You know, when you genuinely care about someone, when they hurt, you hurt. And so some say Jesus was weeping here because it shows his true care and his true love for us. Think about it. He knew Lazarus was coming back. He was about to command him to come out of that grave. But nobody else in the crowd crowd knew. And so he felt and he saw their pain and their despair. Tim Harlow, in his book Life on Mission, uh, shares a true story that happened decades ago uh, with his family. He says that he and his wife and their daughter, Becca, went to a beach in North Carolina to meet their extended family. Uh, They were doing a family reunion camping trip at the beach. He said Becca was four years old, and she was running around the beach with her cousins, and the cousins decided to go back to the campsite, but Becca decided to stay on the beach. Well, it didn't take long to figure out that she was missing. 
And as a parent, you can realize the, the panic here. And so they went to the lifeguard and they said, hey, we, we're missing our daughter. And Tim said to his wife, you run this way on the beach. I'll run this way on the beach and we'll try to find her. Harlow says that he ran like an Olympic sprinter looking for his daughter. He stopped every couple hundred yards and asked people, hey, have you seen a little girl that seems to be wandering on the beach? No one saw her. He said he got about a half a mile down the beach, and there Becca was, just kind of walking and talking to herself. And all the fear and all the despair left him. And of course, he picked her up, and, and he embraced her. But he said at, at that exact moment, he realized, hey, my wife doesn't know that Becca's found. She's still walking in fear. She's still walking in despair. She's still looking for this lost girl. I've got to get to her and let her know. This was before cell phones. And so he grabbed Becca in his arms and he ran to where his family was. He dropped her off and he ran down to find his wife to let her know the good news that Becca had been found. That she doesn't have to be in this pain and despair anymore. I love that illustration. You know, and one thing I want you to understand is that God never takes our pain lightly, even if he knows he'll restore everything we've lost. The book of Job reminds us of that. God, like a good father, he doesn't want to see us in pain, even if he knows that pain will lead to a greater good. He has sympathy for us. You know, one of the greatest gifts that we can give to somebody who is hurting in this world, is our presence and sharing in their sufferings. And so we have this food pantry, this makeshift food pantry. Um, it's, uh, it's almost an, uh, an obsession of mine. And one of the things I'm able to do is, is bring bags of food out to these families, and I can see the fear on their face. I can see the, the pain and, and the despair. They've lost their jobs. They don't even know how they're going to feed their children. And, and when I see that, it, it causes me to hurt. There have been multiple times I've walked back into our building after giving them food with tears in my own eyes. I hurt with them. But I'm reminded, and I believe this with all of my heart, that Jesus hurts with them even more. We serve a sympathetic Savior. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. So he's able to sympathize with our weakness. John Bloom, who's a staff writer for Desiring God, um, says this about Jesus weeping, quote, Jesus' tears give us a glimpse of how the father feels over the grief of his children, end of quote. And so one possible explanation for Jesus weeping was out of compare and compassion for those who were hurting. A second possibility, a second reason, is that Jesus wept at the calamity of sin. Now, the word calamity defined is an event causing great and often sudden damage or distress, a disaster. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Sin is that great event in all of our lives 
that has, has caused all of us damage, distress, and disaster. Paul writes about sin in Romans chapter 6, and he says this in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. In other words, our payment that is due for our sins is that we're all going to die. And so some believe that Jesus was overcome with emotion because of the death and the destruction that Jesus was witnessing firsthand. Think about it. Death had consumed every human being that he created with the exception of two people, Elijah and Enoch, who were called to heaven. But death consumed everyone else that God created. It had taken Lazarus, and it would take him again before this was all said and done. And so Jesus felt the weight of the calamity of sin. You know, sin leaves a mess. Everywhere it goes, it just leaves destruction and carnage. Before the coronavirus hit and we were on lockdown, uh, Lindy and I would, would often, every couple of weeks, uh, we would go out for dinner, uh, kind of a, a, a date night. Uh, we didn't get dressed up. We just spur of the moment would say, all right, let's go out to dinner. Uh, and what we would do is we would tell the kids, we're going to be gone for an hour, hour and a half. We're going to go out to dinner. So you're on your own. You have to fend for yourselves. You are responsible for your own dinner. And we'll have the kitchen spotless when we leave. It's immaculate. Okay, we'll go to dinner. We'll come back an hour and an hour and a half, and there's total carnage in our kitchen. One kid decides they're going to make a smoothie for dinner, and so the blender's in 12 different parts with blueberry splatter everywhere. Another kid decides, I'm going to make ramen noodles, and half the noodles are down in the stove, and they're burnt up. Another kid decides they're going to have a peanut butter sandwich, and there's peanut butter smeared all over the counter. Another one decides they're going to have a 64-ounce glass of chocolate milk, and there's milk everywhere. There's dishes everywhere. The floor is dirty, and we come back in, and we're like, we've only been gone for an hour or an hour and a half. This kitchen was spotless. Now look at the mess. Well, that is a picture of what sin does to us. It leaves us with this huge mess. And it's a mess that we cannot clean up on our own. It's a mess that only Jesus can clean up. And so some scholars say that he wept because he saw the collateral damage of sin. A third explanation, a third possibility of why Jesus wept was that he realized the cost of redemption. That he was about to purchase not only Lazarus' short-term physical resurrection, but he was also going to purchase his everlasting spiritual resurrection. And the cost of redemption came at a great price. Now remember where we are in the gospel narrative. The cross is just days away for Jesus. He's about to walk towards Jerusalem for Holy Week. And I don't think any of us really realize the inner distress that Jesus was experiencing. He was about to experience his father's wrath. Jesus, who knew no sin, was about to become Lazarus's sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the entire world, and he was going to face the wrath of God on our behalf. That is a very expensive cost. A cost that he paid with his own life. 
And so perhaps Jesus wept because he was thinking about the price that had to be paid. You know, Jesus uttered seven statements from the cross. And one of the very last things he said in his life while he was hanging on the cross is found in John 19, verse 30. And it says this, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. You know, the term it is finished is an English translation of the Greek word tetelestai, which is the last thing Jesus says while he's dying on the cross. Tetelestai. Tetelestai comes from the verb teleo, which means to bring to an end, to complete. To accomplish. So it would be a word that you would use when you make the final payment on your car. I wrote that last check. I sent it away. The card is paid for. It is finished. It's a word you would use when you cross the finish line of your first 10K race. I don't have any more steps to run. I've crossed the line. It is finished. And the word means more then I just survived, it means I did exactly what I set out to do. To tell us die. It is finished. You know, a better translation in English is actually the term paid in full. You see, the calamity of sin brought on the wages of death, but Jesus paid that price for us. So that we could live eternally. He paid it in full. In other words, Father, it is finished. Their debt has been paid. But it was a price that was very costly to Jesus. Redemption would be expensive. And so some say he was thinking about that and he wept. A a fourth possibility to why Jesus would have wept is that he wept Because this would cause his own death. That Jesus was weeping because he knew when he raised Lazarus from the dead, it would be the beginning of the end for Jesus. When you read the story in its entirety, uh, it's it's somewhat comical. Uh, Jesus goes to the tomb and and, uh, Martha says, hey, you can't raise him from the dead. He's been in there for four days. He stinks. Um, and, And Jesus has the stone rolled away in that voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the funny thing is Lazarus comes forth, but he's still bound in his burial clothes. So he's like a mummy walking out. And, and Jesus has them re- remove the, ba- the burial cloths. And, and, and Lazarus is, is alive and he's not decomposed. He's fully him. And then the crowd was amazed. The crowd began to speak. Jesus' popularity began, to, ri- began to, 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 to rise and rise. Well, in that crowd that witnessed this and heard this uh, were the religious leaders. And it was because of the, the resurrection of Lazarus that they began to plot what would ultimately happen just days away when Jesus would be arrested. Look at John eleven fifty three. This is right after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and people are talking. So from that day on, they made plans to put him 
to death. You know, it might have been that very day that one of them planted a seed in the mind of Judas. Hey, we need to talk after this. When you get to Jerusalem, come see us. So this event led to the conspiring that was about to happen in Passion Week. And Jesus knew that he was days away from Palm Sunday. And Jesus knew that he wouldn't just be walking towards Jerusalem, that he actually would be walking towards his own suffering and his own death. And so some say that his weeping in John 11 was because he knew that what you just saw was coming for him. And so you've got these four possible reasons to why Jesus wept when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Compassion for the suffering, the calamity of sin, the cost of redemption, and the cause of his own death. And, and I think all four of these might have been contributing factors to what happened in John chapter 11 that caused Jesus to weep. I think all four of these viewpoints work. However, let me offer you my opinion. And I want to go ahead and say this. I want to give you this disclaimer. Uh, be, just because I'm your preacher and this is my opinion, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be your opinion. Uh, you have to get in the Word and dig and, and work out your salvation with fear and trembling just like me. But let me give you my opinion to as why I think Jesus wept on that day. I want to look at John 11, verse 34 and 35. It says this, And he, this is Jesus, said, Where have you laid him? In other words, where is his body? They said to him, Lord, come out and see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. And so here's the picture I have. Jesus is, says, all right, all right, after everyone's done yelling at me and crying and, and telling me I should have been here earlier, where is his body? Oh, he's over here. <clears throat> and Jesus <clears throat> comes to the tomb. And as he sees the tomb, he knows that Lazarus is laying in there lifeless. He's been in there for four days. And he weeps. Could it possibly be that Jesus is weeping not because Lazarus has died and went to paradise to be with God, but could he be weeping because Lazarus is in this perfect, euphoric paradise with God and Jesus is about to command him to come back into this sinful, broken world? That he is so overcome with emotion because he knows Lazarus is way better off where he is in the presence of God. And that Lazarus is going to have to come back to this earth and he's going to have to experience physical death all over again. I mean, once a person gets a taste of heaven, I have to imagine there is no way they would want to come back to this sinful world. And so I believe Jesus was weeping because of that. I, I want to show you a picture. It's going to come up on your screen. This is a picture of, of my grandfather. This is my dad's dad, Vernon Barton. And, and I love this picture uh, because he's standing, in, I think he's in the Smoky Mountains somewhere, and he's standing in front of a sign that says, Very Old Barton Road. And at that point in his life, he was a very old Barton. You know, my grandfather is a spiritual giant to me. He, he is, is one of my heroes in life. 
he's gone, he's passed away now, but you know, I remember the end of his life, going to visit him, and, and, and you know, I would talk to him and, and sometimes pray with him, and, and I would leave visiting him, and, and I would think to myself, I think he's asking for me to pray for him to die. And that, that's a hard prayer to pray because he would say things like, I want to go home. I've been, since my stroke, I've been sitting in this chair for 10 years looking out the same window. I mean, he was in quarantine before everyone else was in quarantine, right? He had no choice. And I remember him telling me one time specifically, this old world has nothing left to offer me. I've done what I wanted to do. I've seen what I wanted to see. It reminded me a lot of Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes when he was an old man, who said, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. And he would say, Kevin, I just want to go home and be with Jesus. And he's there now, in perfect peace, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, in a place far better than this. And though I miss him, I would never want him to come back here I have the hope that I will go meet him someday. And so I think Jesus was feeling this about Lazarus, and it caused him great sorrow to pull him from the splendor of God back here on earth. And so he wept. You know, there are two other accounts in the New Testament where Jesus weeps. And incidentally, they both happen after this account. So in the last two weeks of Jesus' life are the three times we see him weeping in Scripture. And so in conclusion, I just want to look at those other two times quickly. Let me set the scene for the the, the next time Jesus weeps. Um, This is the beginning of Holy Week when Jesus is on a donkey and he's coming into Jerusalem. He sees the, the city skyline. He thinks about the people who were there. And he weeps over them. Look at Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. It says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you into the ground, you and your children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. In other words, you're going to crucify me. You're going to reject me. And he wept over the city of Jerusalem. I think he wept because he thought of the terrible destruction that would befall Jerusalem in 70 AD when the Roman emperor Titus would absolutely level the city and slaughter its inhabitants, men, women, and children without mercy. I think Jesus wept when he came on Jerusalem because he knew that the beautiful temple of God, where God's Shekinah glory dwelled, would be utterly destroyed in Jerusalem. There would be nothing left but a piece of a wall that ran alongside of that temple. 
Many of you have visited Jerusalem and you've stood at that wall. And you've touched that wall. And you've heard and seen people wailing and sobbing and crying. And that's why it's called the Wailing Wall. And friends, oh how Jesus weeps today over the cities of our world. Filled with millions of unsaved souls. How he weeps for the city of Hiram. For those who have no hope of the resurrection because they've not accepted him as their Lord and Savior, they've rejected him. And he weeps because he loves us. He wants to pay the wages of our sin, but he can't do that unless we invite him to do so. And so he weeps over that. You know, and the tears of Jesus should move us as a church, right? To preach the gospel to every creature in Paulding County. To love on the least of these. To show our community that we care in the name of Jesus. The other event of Jesus weeping found in the New Testament is actually found in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. Here's what it says. In the days of his flesh, in other words when Jesus was incarnate, when he was here on earth. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication, don't miss this part, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. I don't know if you know what Hebrews 5, 7 is referring to, but it's referring to the Garden of Gethsemane. The last place Jesus was praying before he was ultimately arrested, tried, and crucified. And so the gospel writers give us this description of Jesus in the garden, praying earnestly, sweating like drops of blood, distressing. But Hebrews 5-7 lets us in on the fact that he was also crying. He was weeping. Jesus was in great agony as our sins were going to be placed on him by God. Look at Luke twenty two forty four, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now look at that phrase, he prayed more earnestly. When you put that phrase up against Hebrews 5, 7, you realize that it wasn't just an earnest prayer. It was a prayer that involved crying and tears because he was in great distress over the weight he had to carry. The weight of all of our sins. And it caused him to weep. And so you have Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Weeping for a hurting family. You have Jesus overlooking Jerusalem. And he wept for a lost city. You have Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Where he wept for a cursed world. And the tears at the tomb of Lazarus were like a small stream belonging to one household. The tears at Jerusalem were more like a river belonging to an entire country. And the tears in the Garden of Gethsemane were an ocean belonging to the whole world. And so what is the message? Where is the lesson for us today? The message, I think, is simple. And here it is. There are some things worth crying about. Friend, you are worth 
crying about. We weep over the things that we love. And I want you to understand that Jesus weeps over you because Jesus loves you. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and, and, and you don't even know where to begin, I want to encourage you to do something uh, today. I want to encourage you, you're on our webpage watching live. Um, go to our contact us, go to our staff page. All of our emails are there. If you have any question uh, about what it means to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, about confessing of your sins and repenting of your sinful life and believing with your heart and being immersed into him and then producing fruit, we want to help walk you through that. But I want to leave you with the message of Good Friday. And the message is simply this. Jesus loves you. He loves you enough to weep over you and to go to the cross and to die for your sins. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.